This is Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. And now here's your host, Steve Teal. Steve Teal, Very Bold Radio and Podcast, holding a book that I love. Just got to finish it. It is so good. This is by Chris Fontanella. He's our guest today. This is part two. The title, though, is Against the Grain, Counterintuitive Ideas on Business and Life. Counterintuitive Ideas on Business and Life by Chris Fontanella, Against the Grain, baby. How you doing, Font, man? Doing very well. Glad to be here again. I'm really glad you're back. Uh, thanks for being patient with us as we had to wait a little while. Uh, but I have finished the book, and it's a great book. I just want to really encourage people to go to Amazon. Do you have, like, your revised edition up yet? Is it working? Yeah, in the so world? it's probably about a, a, another week out, unfortunately. That's so, all right. Yeah, if, you're, if your listeners um, and your viewers want to buy it, I would I would wait until probably midweek next week. You know what? That is going to be perfect because I think we're going to air your show. Um, during that week. So that's going to work out just perfect. So if uh, your publisher is uh, on the up and up that that's when it's going to be done, then they're going to be great. Um, The book is really great. So I've got different questions. One thing, this is going to be a counterintuitive question because of your background in ministry and uh, Oral Roberts and Fuller Seminary. I got to, it's going to sound weird, but here's my question. Which was your favorite gospel or is your favorite gospel of the four? And I'll tell you why I'm asking in a minute. Okay. Um, I always um, loved the intelligence behind um, the gospel of Luke. And (laughs) if I'm I'm not mistaken, uh, he was a doctor, right? Yes. Um, Yeah. I just found his account of, you know, that time in Jesus's life of his, you know, birth through ministry, through death, um, a little more intelligent, um, I, I, not to say the other Gospels don't have an intelligence behind them. I, 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 maybe I just preferred his style of of, of writing and, and giving the account of, of that time. Yeah, that's great. Well, I had a 25% chance of being uh, being right on that. And the reason, one of the things I love about Luke, and then, of course, he wrote Acts as well, um, especially in Acts that comes out, like he just records name after name, like person after person. It's no anonymous historical account. It's just full of historical accuracies. And I was just thinking today, I was reflecting on your book, um, and I, I want to read the back of the book for our, our people who maybe missed part one. I also want to encourage you to go back to part one of this podcast with Chris Fontanella. Uh, but Luke, with his all his names, that's one thing I love about your book. It just hit me like, man, I love how Chris mentions all these different people along the way and the experiences, and that's what reminded me of Luke and his writing. So that's why I was just kind of curious, just, just curious. So let me read the back yeah. of your book. Against the Grain, Counterintuitive Ideas on Business and Life is a Unique Story of success and the atypical philosophies behind one man's achievements. That's you. That's Chris Fontanella. It's an account of Chris Fontanella's journey from the ministry to the staffing industry and lessons learned along the way. This book is a must read for entrepreneurs, salespeople, and anyone who believes alternate views and approaches and being true to one itself, oneself 
creates unlikely outcomes. And I'm just a preacher guy, just a preacher boy, just a simple man. But this book has blessed me and has encouraged me. So I believe it is going to encourage you, even if you're not in the sales force or not an entrepreneur or business person, I think it's going to encourage you. And part of that is listening to the voice that is inside of you. And as Chris pointed out in part one, for for me, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God guiding. And part of my life as a disciple, as a learner, is learning how to discern the voice when that's just Steve and when that's the Holy Spirit that is beckoning, that is urging, that is calling, that is coaching. And that is an exciting journey that um, I hope that you who are watching or listening are on. But even if you're not, this book, it's not written just for a Christian audience. It's actually written for anyone that we just read about. So, uh, man, yeah. font man, um, where to start today? We know which gospel your favorite is. Uh, some of these names that are mentioned, I do have some questions that have come up. I would like to hear some of your stories about Sandra Bensworth. And uh, did I say her name right? I probably didn't. Yep. Okay. You did. I'd like to know about some of your partnership. And then at the very end of right now, tell me, since you guys are not, you're not currently in business partnership, right? That's correct. Is she doing good? How's she doing? I just felt like as I was reading, like I just saw this team is so strong. So I want to make sure that she's doing good. Are y'all still uh, uh, associates yeah, and friends? We are. We're still we're still friends. I still call her partner. Um, I get together with her probably once a quarter and have lunch yeah. and uh, and reminisce and review history and just talk about good times and. All the, the neat things we experienced with starting uh, BS Consultants and then selling the business to Accretive and coming back to Accretive after being let go for a period of time. Yeah. And, uh, all, the st- all the ups and downs and the highs and lows with, with that experience. And she's great. She, she actually went on to become the CFO for the Orange County chapter of the United Way. Cool. Um, involved in nonprofit and fundraising for them and and um, and then being the chief financial officer for them for a period of time, I think it was maybe five or six years. So yeah, um, she did great, and um, sort of that chapter in her life came to a close. And now she uh, luckily gets to golf on a regular basis and gets to travel with her husband and, and and enjoy life that way. Oh, that's cool. Did she get pretty good at golf? I know you had a period of eighteen months where you all golf some, and it sounded like you never really super excelled. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's a hard game, but it is. Playing, uh, she's playing enough on a weekly basis now, where I'm sure she's she's pretty decent. I, you know, I ended up uh, during this COVID year, I had two shoulder replacement surgeries, oh, so what? I haven't really played golf too much. Oh, dude, that is not that is not great. All right, um, walk us through, if you don't mind. Uh, some of these stories are so compelling, so they're going to spur somebody on to buy the book. I would love to hear about some of this partnership with the, if you don't mind sharing the, uh, some of the, to me, the resolution of you guys winding up in New York City eventually um, with what sounds like a scene out of a movie. Can you tell us some of that background and walk us through that partnership, how that happened? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, Sandra and I, um, we were really fortunate when we started our company, um, this uh, this act came out called the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, which required um, companies to uh, change a lot of how they uh, did their SEC reporting and their um, the reporting of their financial statements, which required a, a ton of staff to 
renew policies and procedures and um, other things related to internal audit and external auditing of a, of a corporation. And yeah. that just fueled our business. So we, we literally went from like zero consultants to, I don't know, 50 to 60 in like a six month span of time because wow. every, every company we knew just was short staffed and they couldn't find enough talent to help them implement all those new regulations. Yeah, wow. And so we, we ended up growing tremendously. And then before we knew it, we were being wined and dined to, to sell our company to a company called Accretive Solutions, which at the time was a national uh, consulting firm that really was the, uh, um, it was sort of what we call a classic roll-up. The, the company had purchased a bunch of small boutique accounting and, and finance consulting firms across the country, sort of rolled them up under one umbrella okay. to form a large entity. And we were with them for a while, and things were cruising along, going extremely well. And then um, then there was sort of a corporate coup that happened with Brutal. a few people. Yeah, it was really um, it was really devastating to the company. Um, it, it didn't end up ultimately being the best thing for Sandra and I because the person who sort of appointed himself as the new CEO um, ended up having a change of heart about Sandra and I and our, our leadership in Southern California. And that led to us creating sort of our own exit strategy because we were under contract and uh, we still had 18 months left to go on our contract. So this guy decided to basically pay us to get out of his hair and say sayonara to us. And so, but he wasn't going to pay the whole thing up, either. We, we left the firm. Yeah. And, uh, Basically, ended up sitting on the sidelines for 18 months to honor our non-compete clause. Okay. So I'll, I'll take a little pause there to let you maybe digest that, and maybe there's a, another question related <laughs> to that before I jump into well, you know, us ending up in, in New York. Yeah, I do want to hear a little bit more just about some of those details because this uh, self-appointed uh, CEO, it sounded like from the book that he wanted to just turn your business strategy that was working really well just, I mean, basically throw it out and come with his own strategy. Um, and then, I mean, the whole thing just sounds kind of crazy. What can you tell us about some of that development going on? Yeah, so, you know, in my in my business, in the staffing business, um, there, there are different models that different companies sort of follow, um, you know, to to get staff to, um, to employers or, wherever you may be. Okay. And we always took an approach of um, sort of uh, being willing to get whatever a client needed, whether they needed a team of people or they just needed an individual to help them get stuff done or to fill a, fill a seat because somebody resigned or whatever the case may be. And um, others had um, practices where it was like, we don't do these sort of one-off projects and we don't do backfilling for people who resign. It's we want to help corporations with their larger projects. So the aforementioned Sarbanes-Oxley would be an example of that where because companies needed so many people, they needed teams of people, there were particular consulting firms that were like, hey, we can help you and we'll take full responsibility for getting that done for you and we'll assign teams of people to get that work done, but we'll be responsible for that work. Okay. Well, Sandra and I were always just like, we didn't really want our company to take responsibility for the projects. We just wanted to get them the talent that they needed to get the work done, but they worked under the supervision of the employer uh, themselves. So um, they would work under the management of whatever company we put them at. Yeah. And that kind of took 
a certain amount of liability off of us and, you know, put, put the liability back on the client to make sure that they were getting out of the candidate that we assigned whatever they needed them to, you know, to produce. Yeah. Um, this particular self-appointed CEO was more of the, we want to take responsibility for the project and we want to assign teams of people. We don't want to do this like staff augmentation stuff. That kind of was a, uh, a despised word with him. He did not like the concept of just okay. supplementing staff just to, you know, back to a, a seat from somebody quitting or somebody resigning or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, and so eventually he just got to the point where he didn't think that Sandra and I were the right people to sort of take the Southern California practice to the next level and expand the business and expand, you know, what we were doing in our territories. And so, you know. Can you tell us about that? Take us into that tense room when it's you and this guy, Sandra, and the the legal counsel. Can you just uh, describe some of that for us? It's pretty compelling. It's definitely part, yeah, so, of, part of a movie. You know, so. Because of some <laughs> things that had happened, he he basically sent us via email a um, an offer letter to a, a, a potential employee oh, that yeah. he wanted to hire that was going to help like build out his idea of a consulting practice for our, our territory in Southern California. Yeah. And, you know, once we got that, we were like, wait a minute, this this guy, he's not setting it up where he reports to us, even though we're the market leaders. He's paying him a higher salary than we're getting paid. And Crazy. there's all this, you know, red flags with it that, you know, really upset my partner and I. So we we called him and said, hey, this isn't sitting well with us. You, you need to fly your butt from New York to Southern California and, and sit down and talk to us. Well, yeah. we ended up in a conference room at a, um, at a downtown Los Angeles hotel. And at that time, he basically was like, here's your separation agreements. We don't want you to work for the company anymore. And, wow. you know, when I was reviewing it and looking at it, um, he didn't want to pay us for the remainder of time we had left on our contract. And, and that kind of sent me through the roof. And I was, I was starting to get heated. And I, I just basically said, this isn't going to work for me. So maybe we should just, you know, have you guys talk to our lawyers and, you know, have you guys just figure everything out with them. But we're not accepting your, your proposal here to pay us six months out of 18 months of salary. Right. And um, so we kind of took a stand and we said, this doesn't work for us and things got a little heated. And then we, um, the, the, the chief legal counsel for creative at the time wisely asked us to just take a break and why don't you guys go get a cup of coffee and come back in 30 minutes. And, you know, he was going to try to figure out a way to make things work where everybody um, ended up happy and so, sure enough, at the end of the day, that that is what happened. Like he he mm. constructed a a payout plan, and he constructed an exit strategy that made sense for both the company and made sense for Sandra and I. Yeah. And the rest is history. We ended up taking you know eighteen months off, and um, yeah, just sort of waiting for the right moment to re-enter the marketplace. Yeah. All right. So uh, tell us what happens next at the end of the 18 months. And then I want to go back at some point and just, uh, you know, talk a little bit about you finishing seminary and Stacy's role in that. But talk to us about uh, get us to New York City, because this this thing, this is the movie part. I mean, let's hear it. <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of crazy. So, you know, as we were approaching the end of our our 18 months of being sidelined. Yeah. Um, Sandy and I you know, probably six months before that started strategizing on how we wanted to re-enter the market and start a business again. And we were starting to look at office space. We were starting to, 
um, you know, get company letterhead and, and create a company logo and yeah. get computers and get all set up. So literally the day after the 18 months, we would be ready to rock and roll and, and call our clients again and, and, you know, try to reestablish ourselves in the market. Yeah. But probably three months before, or maybe even two months before we got to the end point on the 18 months, we were uh, contacted by the original CEO that we sold our business to, and he connected us with a chairman of a private equity firm that was actually in the process of buying Accretive Solutions. Wow. And that transaction ended up going through, and through our conversations with that gentleman, he really was very interested in bringing Sandra and I back to rebuild the practice that kind of went into the crapper after we left because yeah. the business was doing really well. The Great Recession hit, and all of a sudden, the Southern California marketplace for Accretive was really, it was in the toilet. Yeah, okay. And he wanted us to help sort of reemerge and, and bring the business back to, the, to higher levels and to better um, levels of profitability and such. And okay. so, Can I ask you a quick side note um, right in the sure. middle of your statement? Um, this the CEO, the former CEO, Joe. I don't remember his last name, but I know it's Joe. Yeah, Joe Mella. Okay, so um, I know from the book that uh, that he winds up not being included in the plans. Can you just tell us? It's not in the book, but how that went down, and and just in the business world. Remember, I'm in the church world, and we have plenty of problems in the church world. But I'm just curious when he's not included, how that kind of plays out, and does that impact your relationship with Joe or? Can you explain yeah, some of that? I'm still, I'm still connected to Joe and, and still enjoy a very um, good relationship with him. I love him. I'm, I'm super thankful to him for uh, buying BS Consultants back in the day. And yeah. um, I have an affinity with him. He's a he's a New Yorker. I'm an East Coast dude from Jersey. Right. And, um, just always appreciated his mindset toward business, and um, he's super astute got a high business acumen and and he's charismatic and he's just and he's just a great guy and I, I just connected with him instantly yeah and I, I don't really know all the details of, of why um, he was not going to be included in the sort of the um, reemergence of a creative Southern California and, and and the company overall and okay. why he wasn't appointed to be the, the CEO again okay I have no into that it just didn't happen and yeah. then it was sort of a matter of Andrew and I receiving an offer and, you know, would we still be willing to join the team regardless of Joe, you know, being there or not. And, you know, at the time the deal made sense for Sandra and I, although I sure. think I mentioned in my book, I kind of look back and to this day, I'm still not really sure we should have done that. Maybe we should have gone on our own, but oh, okay. I don't really like to, you know, dwell on right, right. Miss that and stuff like that. So I'm like, you know, it is what it is. And, and right. yeah, maybe I could have done some things differently, but that's not what happened. So I can't go back and change anything. Right. Well, it's a pretty big cinematic moment that's coming. So if nothing else, it's worth it for that. I mean, come on. So <laughs> the part of the deal is then you're checking with this guy that is doing the takeover plan. Again, obviously, I'm not a businessman, so I'm forgetting all the right ways to call this and everything. But one of the things was that guy who had kind of put together the coup to oust Joe and to take over as the CEO or whatever – one of the questions right. you have to ask is, is that guy going to be a part of Accretive, right? Yeah. So that before Sandra and I accepted um, the offer to come back, we qualified whether or not that gentleman and his 
uh, merry band of marauders. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be there. We, you know, once we heard no, like when we effectively take over the corporation, those people are going to be let go and new management will be put in place. Then we were like, okay, well then, then we're comfortable coming back. You know, we just, we just would not want to be putting ourselves back in a situation where we had to report to that guy. So, you know, that, that wouldn't work for us. So yeah. knowing that he wasn't going to be part of the company moving forward, then we were, you know, more than willing to, to join the team again. Right. Okay. Well, help me to understand. Again, this is your world. Um, help me to understand then when you come back in the scene in New York City, there's going to be some resistance apparently. From yeah. the resistance perspective, can you just help me understand why people would be resistant to when you and Sandra kind of show back up? Do you might, I mean, I just don't completely understand. Yeah. So I, and this is just me surmising, yeah. but um, I think it really did revolve around the approach to business that Sandra and I took, which was more um, uh, a staff augmentation approach. And, and by staff augmentation basically just mean for whatever reason, a company just needs temporary relief um, from a staffing standpoint. Okay. It could be that somebody quit unexpectedly. It could be they hired somebody and the person's really not working out, and so they fired them. It could be that all of a sudden, you know, some executive needs, you know, some special reporting done or a special analysis around an aspect of the business, and they just don't have the bandwidth to do it with their internal staff. Yeah. And they need to hire, you know, a temp to help them for the next three months to get it done. Well, Sandra and I, that's what we specialized in. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, if you needed somebody, you needed one person or two people or three people, and you wanted some options on some talent to help get that done, call us and we'll call the consultants we know and see who's available and then send them to you to get that done. And when they're done, they get out of your hair and they, and they leave. Yeah. Well, this guy wanted to transform Accretive Solutions into solely a quote-unquote consulting firm where the company really only helped other companies with projects. Okay. He, didn't, he wasn't into this staff augmentation stuff. He wasn't into this one-off sort of, I just need somebody for three weeks or I need somebody for a month. He was like, what projects are your companies doing? And we'll take over that project and get it done for you. And we're going to charge you an arm and a leg, you know, to mm. get that done. Okay. And so I think a lot of it was he had convinced, some other markets that that was the direction the company was going in and anything that looked and smelled like staff augmentation was not what he wanted. Okay. And so I think some of that mentality trickled into some of the other markets. And so I think some of those market leaders, once they heard we were coming back, that didn't really sit well with them because they sort of bought into let's be a projects only sort of company. I see. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so then now we're we're at we're at, in this high rise in New York, <laughs> waiting to attend a meeting with the new owners, the private equity firm that bought the company. Yeah, um, all the other market leaders from Accretive that we used to work with, and um, and the the chairman of the board of that private equity firm was going to announce that hey, we've rehired Chris and Sandra; they're coming back to rebuild Southern California. Yeah. And there must have been some flare-ups about that <laughs> because we were, you know, we were kindly asked to sit in the lobby and wait, even though the appointed hour for the meeting had come and gone. And then we waited some more and we waited some more. And then, um, you know, 
finally somebody said, okay, like they talked through their issues and they're ready for you guys to come in. And we walked in and it was like, it was, it was cold. It was a cold mm. environment because you can tell that some people were not happy that we were there. Yeah. And so I think I mentioned in my book, I'm looking around for anybody that I, you know, I had a good relationship with and a good rapport with. And I found a couple, you know, fellow market leaders that I had good rapport with. And, you know, I went up to them and hugged them just trying to look for support and a sense of love, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, so yeah, yeah the, the meeting went on and, um, you know, it's sort of uh, we weren't the center of attention as the meeting rolled on because the the new owners were basically talking about the strategy to you know moving forward. So um, yeah, and then we just kind of settled in and did what we always did, which was <laughs> you know establish relationships with businesses yeah. and try to to close deals and make stuff happen and grow the business. Right. Good news, folks. This is part two of a three-part series with Chris Fontanella. That was not the plan, but that's where God has taken us. So I want to encourage you next time to listen in on part three. You're not going to miss a thing right here on KSLR. Appreciate you guys. You can always email me, steve at verybold.com. And I want to remind you what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3.12. This is what I'm trying to do. I hope and pray it's what you're trying to do. Remember the great hope that he has given us. Paul says this, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal. Bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com.